Yeah, so who loves getting to the final chapter of a book? You've been journeying, you've been um, just kind of on the journey, which is uh, some of the best part of, the, of a book is just the whole like process of, of walking through, man, where are we headed? But it's also like you long to get to the end and see what's the conclusion? Where does this lead us to? Uh, what questions are answered and which ones are we still working through? And that's, a, you know, this is a real moment in God's redemptive history, the life of Joshua, the life of the people of Israel. But in the same way, I kind of love to get to, man, where does this land us? Um, and we've been journeying for since uh, July, early July, through the book of Joshua um, and focusing on this theme of aligning our hearts with the God of promise aligning our hearts with the God of promise. And not only is this the end of the book of Joshua, but uh, in the story, it's the end of of the life of Joshua. We're going to see in the final verses of our passage that that Joshua lives to be 110 years old. And and, and, in that time, that was known as a, a blessed life, to live to be 110 years old. He says, I am old now, which is something I've started to say. I'm not really, but uh, feeling it. And he's faithfully just follow the Lord, someone that we can just really look to as an example. Um, This scene is a little bit different than last week. Uh, Drew got to talk about the faithfulness of God and how Joshua called the people together. It's a similar scene, very similar. He calls the leaders of every tribe together, and they're back in the city of Shechem, where they had previously renewed their covenant, their faithfulness with God. It was a significant place. And there's something about the last words of dying men, right? Of, of men that we've walked with that have been an influence. Um, there's this experience that they carry, this wisdom that you lean in a little bit closer when they speak, when they have something to say. And when they call all the tribes together, that's the way I picture this scene. Uh, the quote here I, I read this week, words of dying men are of most efficacy and authority as being spoken out of all their former experience with most simplicity, without self-seeking or sinister ends, with most seriousness. For men entering upon the confines of eternity are wiser and more serious. I think of my my grandfather, uh, one of my heroes, uh, Marty Taylor, Grandpa Taylor. He he was uh, such an endearing person and um, faithful follower of the Lord, faithful in his church, faithful to, to love people. I still have images of him just carrying a bag of tomatoes <laughs> with him from his garden and always just, you know, finding someone within uh, his, his friendships to give and bless a whole bag of tomatoes. Uh, he was a prankster. That's where I get my uh, corniness and, and my uh, bad jokes, uh, always tinkering in the garage, fixing things, always has a cup of coffee in his hand. Um, and I remember as he was battling cancer, the final days of his life, I remember journeying to go with him. I don't have a great memory, but I, I remember the, that moment like, like yesterday. And I remember him having uh, distinctly such a joy, um, a, a joy and a, a, a contentment and a peace. And it came out of this. He looked at me and he said, Brian, I don't, I don't know how anyone can, can go through their life without knowing the Lord. That it's that he was essentially telling me like, my life has been everything. Um, I owe everything to the Lord. Following Him, I have no regrets in that. And and he knew that he was about to be with the Lord. No regrets. And that's the way I picture this scene with Joshua. A lot of people rubbing shoulders. A lot of people whispering, huddling up, ready to hear. 
what their leader had to say. It must have been important to take them to Shechem where they previously renewed their covenant. They lean in to hear what he has to say. And more importantly, we see obviously that God is before them. What does God have to say through Joshua? Joshua 24, verse 1. Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and summoned the elders, the heads, the judges, and all the officers of Israel, and they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. He goes on a uh, refreshes them of God's faithfulness. Long ago, your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abraham, and Nahor, and they served other gods. See, I, I would pause right there. I think what we see, even in that first recounting of the faithfulness of God, is that it's been a prevalent theme for us. Like, really, the last couple like weeks of the book of Joshua, just recounting God's faithfulness. And, and we often forget how good and faithful God has been in our life to reach out, to pursue us, to rescue us. You see that even Abraham, who we think so often as a great hero of faith, one that followed the Lord, almost like uh, he just needed a little bit of help from God to, to, to do all these great things. But really what we see here is that even at the beginning of the story with Abraham, he served other gods. That God pursued and, and made a people out of um, idol worshipers. And he called them and he called them to follow him and obey him. God is faithful to an undeserving people. We're going to see that this morning. Let me pray as we continue into this passage. God, I thank you for, man, your, your undeniable, just great um, work that you've done throughout history, that we're standing here today because you are faithful and good and gracious. God, as we listen into the words of Joshua, God, may we um, really consider uh, what he has to say to the people of Israel and how that um, reaches to us today. God, that these words in your scriptures are for us. God, that you would help us to consider, man, what is our response to all that we've seen? In your name, amen. All right, so we see, yeah, I think that we are called to just reflect along with the people of Israel in this moment. Man, what's the faithfulness of God been like in my life? How has God really been at the center of all of that? I think you see that undeniably. We're not going to read all of it word for word this morning, but if you read those first 13 verses, you see in verse 3, I took your father Abraham. In verse Three, uh, the second part, it says, I led him through all the land of Canaan. I gave him Isaac. And to Isaac, I gave Jacob. And I gave Esau the hill country. I sent Moses and Aaron. I plagued Egypt with what I did in the midst of it. And, and afterwards, I brought you out. Then I brought your fathers out of Egypt. Then I brought you to the land of the Amorites. And I gave them into your hand. I destroyed them before you. Listen to this in verse 12. It says, it was not by your sword by your bow, I gave you a land on which you had not labored, in cities that you had not built, and you dwell in them. You eat the fruit of vineyards and olives, orchards that you did not plant. See, in this preamble, in this recounting of God's faithfulness, he's, he's not harsh on them in saying, like, he didn't recount for them all of their failures, but he does remind them that all of the, the good things that you're experiencing right here in this moment, all of the journey has been because I have made a way. You see the first person way in which he's, God speaks in this moment 
It's powerful. The evidence of God's faithfulness was not only told here, but can you imagine they, they experienced it firsthand? Like they had seen with their eyes the crossing into the land of Canaan. They had heard from their grandparents what it was like to wander in the wilderness and for God to provide food for them that they didn't deserve. You can think about, man, the, the stories that have passed down of the crossing of the Red Sea. For them, it would have been wild not to see how good and gracious God is. And see, today we see that it demands a response. What Joshua gets to is that if God is faithful and deserving of our worship, will we choose to follow him with our life? This is where the climax of the story has led us. This is where we find Joshua pleading with his people. There's so many idols and evils vying for their attention and ours, things that uh, want devotion to that aren't God, but no one else deserves true worship like we've done this morning, like we've sung together. No one else deserves to be served and loved than God Almighty. You know, I'm reminded of the book of Mark when we read through the gospel. We spent a long time and it was the same way. It led us to the point of we see who Jesus is. So now how are we going to respond? Do we see him as the son of God, worthy of, of dropping our nets and truly following him with our life? It's decision time. I think choices and decisions are made all throughout our day. It's what our, our, our day is made up. We, we don't even think about all the little choices and decisions that we make waking up, maybe not waking up, maybe sleeping in a little bit longer, what we're going to eat for breakfast, whether we're going to exercise or not, uh, if we're going to brush our teeth, um, where we're going to go, if we're going to answer this phone call or this text message to exercise. Uh, I, I've enjoyed watching it with my young girls, um, Maggie and Addie, and they're longing for independence, um, longing to make more and more choices and decisions on their own, watching them enjoy that, whether it be uh, picking their outfits in the morning or what they want for lunch. That's not always a good thing to ask them because it's always chicken. Um, you know, <laughs> yeah. what TV show to, to watch. Um, the other night we were in Target and uh, the only thing that they wanted, the only thing they were focused on was these little juice bottles. And the problem was there was like 50 options. And so we go to this, this, it was like all the way in the back of the store. And I'm, I'm there with these two crazy kiddos and Addie immediately goes up and she picks the purple unicorn. No hesitation. She already knew what she wanted. She walks away. She's good. She's content. Maggie was just riddled with decisions. <laughs> she would pick one up, look at it. Ah, and then she'd pick up another one. She had the Moana for a little while. Uh, finally, she landed on some troll and she was like, nah, I don't think, I don't think we like trolls. She put it back and then she landed with Minnie Mouse. I was like, that is a great decision. That's awesome. Minnie Mouse. You couldn't choose any better. But as adults, um, as we grow older, we start to feel the weight of, of even more like decision making, right? I think of recently, you know, buying a house a few years ago. And it's the timing of, are we going to move forward with this? Somebody else might get it. Do we sign this contract? Do we, do we go forward with that? Or, or maybe some of us, the college decision felt so weighty. You know, what's my career going to be? Who am I going to marry? Am I going to call her dad and, and talk to him and ask for her hand in marriage? I remember that moment just sitting in the car. Like, not that I didn't want to marry her, but just nervous to talk to him. And, and finally hitting the, 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 the call. 
You see, and I think Joshua is looking at them at the end of his life. He says, guys, I don't have more days. I want you to know that when I'm gone, uh, I long for you to still follow the Lord. Please don't turn away from him. He is what is best for you. He is where true life is found. Please, please, please don't wander. It's as if he's like sliding a contract across the table. They're, they're, uh, it's them before God and, and ready to decide. There's no more delaying this. We've seen the goodness of God and he says, what are you going to do? This is what he says. This is the heart of the matter. This is the heart of the passage. Verses 14 and 15. If you look at it with me, it says, Now therefore, after all that we've recalled, all we've seen, all that we've experienced, everything that's coming to your mind, how God, like we said this morning, what is, what is it that God's reminding you of his faithfulness? It says, Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served because beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. See, there's a lot of decisions we make in life. I, I know it might be weighing on some of us different things we're facing, but there's nothing that matters more than this challenge from Joshua. Who will we worship? Who will you devote your life to? What or who takes the top priority in your heart? The throne of your heart. You see, throughout this passage, the word serve is there like 18 times. It's over and over again. The repetition, right? We talk about when we read the Bible, what's re re repeated? The word serve, it gives this idea of, man, what are you giving your life to? Your time and your energy. Would they be servants to gods or slaves to sin? Would they worship idols made with human hands or God Almighty? He's using extreme language here. If you, if you notice um, that he actually tells them, if you're not going to choose God, Pick which idol you're going to choose. Uh, so my point, my first point that I, I want to just kind of highlight here is choose to serve the Lord above all else. Choose to serve the Lord above all else. And, it, and some of us might read this and think, that's not a choice I have to make. That's not a choice that I have to make. I don't worship anything and I don't need to. I'm a servant to no one. I think we're naive to, to understanding that, that something's mastering you. That we're, we're all worshipers and we're worshiping someone or something. It's whatever is the biggest thing in, in your life is commanding your every day. Unfortunately, often it's not God. You see, if we read it again, he says, and if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your fathers, the gods from Egypt, or the gods of the Amorites. I thought that was so strange. First of all, that he says, and if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord. To, evil in your eyes to serve the Lord. That's so striking for him to say. Like who in their right minds, especially those that experience God's grace to such an extent, would ever deem serving the Lord, following God evil. I mean, when we think about evil, that's like something that we abhor. That's, that's something we never want to be part of. 
You know, think anyone that comes to the conclusion that serving the Lord is evil, and it happens, and it does happen. After hearing the gospel that following the Lord is evil, I was revolted against the idea that, that they understand that truly following the Lord changes everything. That the towers that we build, the things that we're clinging to, they need to be let go in order to follow Him. And when we get to that place in our mind, and we're, we all start there, in rebellion against God, we don't want to let go. And in, in some ways, we would look at that as evil, to choose God. While people don't often say it out loud, it's the path many choose to go and are falling in, in, in a sinful state. Idols cannot remain. And I, I, I just think it's so refreshing to see someone call it out. See Joshua charge people to choose God because he's what's best. And you see that he doesn't say you have the option. He says, choose who you will serve, not if you will serve. As I said, we don't have the option of serving. Our hearts are giving over to something or someone. We are created to be worshipers. Um, and I think all of us, I think what Joshua knows is that we all, they possibly had a little bit of Egypt still in them. That while they had experienced so much together and they were all with their words saying, let's follow God, that, man, he, he as a prophet in this moment was like, you need to really look at your heart. And I think we can relate to this too. That we know the rest of the story that leads to Jesus coming making a way as we celebrate here soon, coming to the cross for us to be saved and transformed, to be set free and brought into relationship with God. But there is still a battle with our old self, right? We see all throughout the New Testament, put away the old self, put away the idols, put away the idolatry in your heart. It's important to ask, is there anything that's absorbing my heart and imagination more than God this morning? Anything that you seek to give you what God can only give you. An idol is when a good thing becomes an ultimate thing. Let's see, uh, Tim Keller, I love the way he describes, he calls them counterfeit gods. That we, we see in this passage, you follow God with big G or these, these gods of the Amorites, gods of Egypt. And Tim Keller says, anything in life can serve as an idol. A god alternative, a counterfeit God. What is an idol? It's anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything that you seek to give you what only God can. An idol is when a good thing becomes an ultimate thing. And I think our, our worship is misdirected to places it never should be. Our service, we begin holding tightly. The word that Joshua has used recently as we've read through it is cling. Hold tightly to. I think uh, if we are uh, only content with Jesus plus something, Jesus plus money, Jesus plus comfort, Jesus plus whatever it might be, we need to be careful. We need to be careful. Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. We see again the Apostle Paul to the church in Corinth. They were just struggling rampant with sin within the church body, specifically um, with the sin of sex and many others he lists off. And he says, therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. And I love that because, uh, again, that, that was uh, many years after Joshua and, and the idols that we see in that passage. Philippians 3, 8 through 9, indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth 
of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. You see, this is Paul with the words of someone that understands, man, when we follow the Lord, we put away those selfish idols and sins that for his sake I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. So just for a moment, I, I, I know that, uh, man, the bridge from Joshua sometimes to our current moment can feel, can feel far. But if we were to consider, man, I, I know we, we don't worship oftentimes idols that are carved statues or that we might picture them worshiping in this time. But what are some modern idols that we give ourselves over to if we're not careful? I mean, think about it, reflect on it. It could be comfort. And any, any good thing that becomes an ultimate thing. You see, we love to be comfortable. Um, but when we avoid obedience and service to God because he calls us to something that makes us uncomfortable, that, it, that feels dangerous, and we're frozen, we've placed our desire to be comfortable before God. So now we're devoted to anything and everything that ensures that we feel safe or that we feel protected, that we flee from danger. Uh, financial st stability is what we aim for. We do everything possible to preserve ourselves and have every possible convenience. The other things that come to mind is, is money, materialism. If that's the pursuit in which, man, I can only be content and happy if I have enough in my bank account. Influence and fame, like you long for it, like you just want to be known, you want to be important, and you forget that you're already important in, in the eyes of God and within the church community. Sex, entertainment, phones and technology, jobs, relationships, physical appearances, jobs, status, power. Even as parents, we can, we can become so focused on the success of our children, on what they're going to be and where they're going to go and, and how we as a parent lead them there, that we can invest all of our time and our energy and our money into sports or academics or whatever we think is going to make them successful. And, and we, we take that time away from following God, away from discipleship, away from uh, time with the church. We see it happen all the time. Reflect on that. I think some ways that we can be honest with our devotion and worship as we can think through some of these things is examine your imagination. Think about it. Where does my imagination go? What do I daydream about? That oftentimes helps us see, man, what are we longing for? Where's our attention go? When we try to uh, practice spiritual disciplines, when we try to sit down and pray for five minutes, but our minds are so distracted, what is that? Think about the finances and things that we invest in. Look at your bank account. What does that reflect? Does it reflect idols? Does it reflect overspending towards things that you think are going to make you happy? Think about your prayer life. When we pray, do you end up being more bitter at God because the results that you're looking for or the direction that He wants to take you, it, it, you actually realize that, that that's what you want rather than whatever He's leading you into? Think about your prayer life, your relationships. Are they leading you towards God or away from God? Our emotions, what do we fear the most? What are we most passionate about? What are our concerns? What are we losing sleep over? Are we giving them over to God? So the first point there is, is choose to follow the Lord above all else. And point number two, choose to fear the Lord above all else. Choose to fear the Lord above all else. Our fears 
and our idols are more tied to each other than we realize. This this one struck me. Uh, I wasn't when I first looked into this chapter, I've been really diving into this this week, but you notice as he gives the faithfulness of God, he says it, the first thing he says is, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. And um, what we remember, what I, well, the first thing I thought is, remember, do you remember the beginning of the journey? When we open chapter one, it says, be strong and courageous. It's as if he was saying, don't be afraid. Like go in and into this land and move forward because God is with you. And now he's saying fear but he's saying, fear the Lord. And so it helps us understand, man, there's a wrong type of fear that we can have that can lead us away from God. And there's a right fear that puts us in the right place before our God. I think in the same way, we're all worshipers of something and we all have fears that drive us more than willing to admit. Our fear of God leads us to lovingly serve him and our fear of anything else can lead us to idols. I think what I'm trying to say is we find freedom from fear by learning to fear the right thing, by learning to fear God. From an early age, we all like kind of understand this idea of fear. As with, my, with my girls, it's like, um, man, yes, fear the stove, fear the, the heat. Uh, they have to learn the hard way, but that's a good fear. But you don't need to be fearful of the, the boogeyman under your bed. Like, that's not logical. There's not a boogeyman under your bed. You're okay. You're going to be safe tonight. As we get older, I think uh, our fears can really grip our hearts, especially in our culture today. Uh, anxiousness and stress seems like it's through the roof. We have more information than we ever have had. We're more globally connected. We have more technology and, and resources, but I feel like we're more crippled and we're in danger. Uh, we're, uh, we're, we fear rejection, missing out, pandemics, political turmoil, the list goes on and on. And, and I think what, what I've reflected on this week is what, what we fear is really what we love. So if we, we fear um, when, when we encounter things that we can't control, we fear like that, that we might potentially lose or even gaining something too wonderful yeah, I think it's often funny that we are oftentimes more fearful of success than we are of failure. You know, success, it's just like unknown. And what's that look like? I don't know how I'm going to handle that. Failure seems a little more comfortable, a little more something that we're more used to. Here's what I'm, uh, kind of an example of what I'm saying, though, how it leads to idols. That the love of money sits on the throne of your heart. Money takes priority over God and everything else. And we fear being broke. We fear not having a stable job. We fear the stability of the economy. We lay up at night thinking, figuring out ways to improve our bank account and stay on top. If comfort and security uh, are idols of our hearts, we fear anything that will take us out of our comfort zone. We are scared to death of change or trying something new. We're afraid to pray and surrender to God because we're nervous. He will lead us into something that is uncomfortable. We remain apathetic and stagnant and frozen. We soothe ourselves with entertainment distractions, even drugs, relationships, anything that will help us not face the reality. We're fearful. If the, fear, if the idol of our fame and reputation is what drives us, we're tirelessly doing everything to keep up appearances because we're so fearful of saying the wrong thing, of someone rejecting us. See, our fears often command our behaviors. And I love this. While waiting on, um, on Moses... The children of Israel, um, you know, Moses goes up on the mountain and he's receiving the, the word from the Lord, the commandments from God. 
and it was like you're you're reading it and you're like what just happened but they they're the people are at the bottom of the mountain and they they make an image of a golden cow and they begin worshiping it and they turn to an idol it's like moses was out of their presence just for a moment as such a reminder as i was reflecting on that for how quickly we can turn to these things how quickly we can lose our fear of God and, and turn to idols. But notice what he says in that moment. He says, and after that happened, and now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? He says, but to fear the Lord your God and to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him and hold fast to him. And by his name, you shall swear. He is your praise. He is your God who has done for you these great things and terrifying things that your eyes have seen. And then David, we find him like uh, Anissa was talking about running from so many fearful things, people chasing for his life. And what he says after that is, I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears, from all of those things. But then just a few verses later in eight and nine, it says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord. You, his saints, for those who fear him, have no lack. See, what we see in these verses is that we find freedom from fear by learning to fear God. And fear in the wrong things can be really, really exhausting. Fear in God is freedom. We should fear giving our life to anything else. I love this definition. I think what we really need to see is that there's a different type of fear when it comes to God. It's not just this fear of of what judgment he might give of an almighty, powerful God, while yes, we should understand and tremble at how powerful and mighty God is, but it's also an awe, this reverential awe of his goodness, of how great he is, of how faithful he is. I love this definition here by Marshall Siegel. It says, the fear of God is a heart level embrace of the intensity of his holy and sovereign authority overall. It's admission that God is worthy of our admiration, our devotion, reverence, and awe but it's far more than an admission. It's a face to the ground, trembling in the soul, all of life, submission to that God, a heart that senses how small, sinful, and undeserving we are next to him, and yet still dares in Christ to draw near to him. Those who fear God have received his grace and mercy without diminishing or marginalizing all that makes him terrifying to sinners. And so the fear of God doesn't push us further from God, it draws us in. And I think that can only be fully understood through the cross. That the cross, we realize that we are so deserving of the judgment of God for our sin, that we are deserving of death, but at the cross we find a savior, that same God that, uh, that brings judgment, that same God brings life and forgiveness and mercy and grace. And we find ourselves at the foot of the cross so just grateful and, and feel so undeserving for what he's done. That's a right fear of God that leads us to devotion and following him with our life. See, when God's on the throne of our hearts, he is the biggest thing. We fear him above all else and we serve him. Last point here is choose to give God your whole heart. For sake of time, I'm not going to read all of these verses here, but, but what you see is fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and faithfulness. Serve him with everything that you have. It says in, um, in verse 19, it says, uh, put away the foreign gods that are among you and incline your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. 
incline your hearts, the seat of your, of your soul, incline um, your, your full devotion to him. It's not something that we can have half in and half out. What, what you see in this, uh, the next couple of verses is like back and forth. They're like, oh yeah, 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 we're, we'll serve God. Like, we're with you, Joshua. Everything that you've seen, we've seen his faithfulness, we'll serve God. But then he says, like, you can't serve God. He says he's, he's holy and he's just. And it's like, Joshua, you're surprised at his response. But what you see is Joshua's trying to push back against just lip service. He's trying to push back against, like, underestimating the, the power of the idols that we, we so easily can give ourselves to. He's pushing back against the previous generations that said with their mouth that they would follow God and then they lived for something else. He wants to know that as he leaves this world that they really uh, are serious about following God. Uh, an illustration I thought uh, was, was pretty helpful was this uh, illustration of the, of the, pig, the pig and the chicken. Have you heard it? So the, the pig and the chicken, they're on this farm and they're like, um, man, we love this farmer. He's so good to us. We want to do something special for him. So the chicken is like, uh, hey, pig, I'm thinking, can we make a really good breakfast for the farmer? He loves a good, healthy breakfast. And the pig's like, I'm in on that. I'd love to bless the farmer. And so he's like, what are you thinking? And the chicken says, well, I, I was thinking uh, I, will, I will contribute. I'll give the eggs. And he's like, okay, that sounds great. Give the eggs. Uh, what, else, what else can we do? And the chicken's like, um, well, I was also thinking eggs and ham. He really, really loves a good egg and ham breakfast. And the pig looks at him. He's like, okay, that's fine. While you are making a contribution, I'm making a real commitment. He's given everything. You see, and Joshua doesn't hesitate in this moment of calling people to choose to follow the Lord. He says, first thing, he says, me and my house, we're going to follow the Lord. He puts it out there. Me and my family, hold us accountable because we are following the Lord with our life. And I think we are called to truly put it out there, man. Are we following Jesus with our life? I'm thankful for people who demonstrate that like Joshua did. I love as, as we close the faithful servant of the Lord, it says in verse 29, after these things, Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, that description is such a description to have on your tombstone, right? Such a description as have said about the end of your life. It's what the same thing at the end of, of Deuteronomy that was said about Moses. He's a servant of the Lord, died being 110 years old. It says in verse 31, Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua had known all the work that did for Israel. See, Joshua died as a, an incredible example of following the Lord. And that generation along with him at that moment, they lived out their life in following him. But what we see is as we get into the book of Judges, maybe that's a, a book we'll journey in the future, the most popular phrase throughout the book of Judges is the people of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. And so there's this generation who choose to follow him, but the next generation and over and over again, there's a cycle of sin the cycle of idol worshipers that choose evil over following God. And, and what we see is that we need so much more than an example. We need so much more than a, a model. We needed a savior. See, next week we celebrate Christmas and Joshua, as a, at the end of the book, we can truly see 
that it points to Jesus being sent. It points to our need for a greater Savior. That while Joshua's bones would be in the ground and his body would stay there, Jesus would go to death on the cross. He would be in the grave three days, but he would rise again. And he would, he's coming to return for us one day. I'm going to ask that the Haneys come up and the band as we close, as we reflect on God's faithfulness throughout this entire series. It's been incredible. And the challenge of Joshua, I, I hope, uh, really helps us consider, man, where are we today? See, God's faithful to pursue us as that first few verses showed us. It's all his faithfulness and his doing that we know how to know him. As we take the story further all the way to the cross with Jesus, Jesus taking our place, giving his life, taking the punishment that we deserve, that we fear, we know is something that we can never live a perfect life to overcome. He forgave us and rose victorious. And today, if you've never placed your faith in Jesus, I, 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 I want you to know that's the first choice to be made. As we talk about decisions, as we take, talk about next steps, as we talk about seeing how God is faithful. If you've never placed your faith in him, that's the best thing that you could ever do. To say, God, I, I know that I'm sinful. I repent. I turn from my evil ways, from the, the things that grip my heart. And I know that Jesus has given his life for me, that he's forgiven me made a way for me. I confess Jesus as Savior of my life and I choose to follow you. And you're promised eternal life. You're promised that he will be with you forever. Man, take that step. We'd love to pray with you in that. And for those of us that have already placed our faith in Jesus, may we be reminded of his faithfulness to pursue us, how undeserving we were. And the question for you this morning is, are we aligning our hearts to the God of promise? How has God been speaking you, to you throughout this whole series about his faithfulness in your life? Write it down. Record it on a piece of paper. The rest that he offers. How is he calling you into obedience? And have you responded or are you hesitant? Are you still clinging to something that's taking the place of his glory in your life? Is there a step that you've been fearful to take? As we've seen today, is there, is there a heart check that you need to consider? The challenge today is to resolve to follow him with our whole heart. Choose to follow the Lord. Choose to fear him above all else. And do that with your whole heart. I, I think of Drew right now as he's running the marathon, Drew and Hadassah. And um, man, so proud of them. It's amazing to see that. And I think about the, the words of Paul, the way he, he reminds us of, of the way it looks to to pursue a life of following the Lord is, is like this. He says, not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. God, we... We thank you that all over scripture, we're reminded of a faithful God, whether it be in Joshua or as we fast forward to uh, the New Testament, we thank you that you're faithful throughout history to make a way for us to be restored in relationship with you. God, we thank you that 
Um, when you call us into salvation, you forgive us of the penalty of our sin. And that as we follow you, God, you're, you're, great, you're so gracious with us and patient as we strive to the battle that following you can be, the battle of our old self. God, as Paul in these words, like running a race, um, is just so um, dead set on, on following you and, and making every uh, adjustment and, and, and uh, trusting you in all of your power to help him move forward and um, serving you and nothing else. So guys, we consider all that you've been speaking to us about. I pray that you give us a moment of reflection here in your name. Amen.